At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That text seems, seems to be a, um, a simple passage, and yet contained it. I want to talk to you this morning about some things that are contained in this text that may not be uh, obvious to you as, as you read it. But we can draw some conclusions from the text that I think will help us in our understanding of our relationship to our God. Now the story is simple. The disciples were going through the grain field and they were shucking the, the corn. Actually, we think of corn like corn on a cob, but it was more like a maize. It was a stalk with a head of grain on it and they could, they could uh, because it was ripe, they could get the grain off and they could rub it together and make a little gummy tasting, uh, I don't know, what, what we call something that kind of like a paste. Anyway, they were hungry and they were eating. The Pharisees saw this and they said, this is not lawful for you to do this. Now Jesus answered a couple of ways. It's not a simple answer. Matter of fact, it, I think this is here in order to give us some introspection into how we are to look at the Word of God, basically. What happened was, that he's going to relate, is that David went into the house of God. It was located at that time at a place called Nob. It wasn't the building. It was the tent. It was the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, every Sabbath day, the priest prepared 12 loaves of bread out of fine meal. They were, it was good bread. Two rows, six in each row. And this was for those who were serving at the temple, doing the sacrifices and so forth on the Sabbath. That was for them to eat. Now, there's nothing in the Old Testament that talks about it being a sin to eat that bread other than the priest. But They'd come to that conclusion that you can't do that, and so they're 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 telling they, they're telling Jesus that uh, it's not lawful for your disciples to eat this corn on the Sabbath day, and Jesus is saying, didn't you look at this example of David? And David was uh, the he wasn't the king of Israel at this time; he was fleeing from Saul, who was trying to take his life. And he had some men with him, and they were starving they were not perhaps not dying but they were extremely hungry and so they asked the priest Ahimelech if he would give them something to eat and he said I only have the showbread and David took it and he gave it to them and so they ate some of the loaves of the showbread now that bread of course was designed as we said to, to feed the priest as they partook or they performed their, their services on, on the uh, Sabbath day 
He added another point here too. He said, he said, uh, don't you know that on the Sabbath day the priests have to work? They go into the temple and they have to work. So he, he made a couple of arguments to them at this point. Now, I want to, to uh, tell you something, frankly. That is that when you read the Word of God, it's not a simple message. It's not something you can just pass over and say, oh, I'll get my reading and I'll get my strength today and I'll, I'll get all I can out of it. I'll just pass over what he's saying. Jesus is making some arguments here. And he expects us and he expected them to reach some of the same conclusions that he had reached. Now, you can only reach those conclusions if you use your brain. So when you read the Bible, you have, you have two commodities that you're dealing with. You have reasonable, rational information, and you have emotional information. So with your brain, you're supposed to figure it out. And with your heart, you're supposed to grasp it. But you've got to figure it out. And God hasn't just left us alone and said, well, don't worry, you don't have to figure it out, just read it. That's not what's going on. This, this particular passage gives us that information, basically. Jesus is using some argumentation and using some vehicles to make an argument that we understand in our ordinary world. You know, if you're just out in the, in the world today, you'd find out that if, if, you're, if you're trying to reach conclusions, you have to use some kind of reasoning to get there. That's your intellect. So you have, to, you have to deduce things. You can use deductive argumentation and reasoning. Or you can use inductive argumentation and reasoning. Or you can even perform ellipsis in your argumentation. And you can, you can combine some variables and all sorts of things you can do in argumentation. And people understand this. We know this. We use it all the time. The argumentation he made was basically inductive. He said, he said David was able to eat the showbread. Why? Because... Inductively, he said it's, it's mercy. So you start out with, the, with one premise and you can reach the conclusion, but you have to do it reasonably. You just can't walk over it and, and, and phase over it and read over it and not recognize that there's some argumentation involved here and some way for you to use your brain in order to get to these conclusions. These people were not doing that. They were not using either one, basically, because they should have known. They should have reached those conclusions. Now listen. Matthew twenty two twenty nine says, You do err not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. You can know the Scriptures in a sense. You can read them. You can know where the passages are. You can know what they say. But you may not be grasping them. You follow? These people were not grasping the Scriptures. They knew what David did, and they knew that David was not in sin. So they could not use that logic. It is sin to eat the showbread, therefore David is a sinner because he ate the showbread. Inductive reasoning. They can't do that. They had to use another reason. They had to say, it's all right in certain circumstances to eat the showbread because David did and he didn't sin. Right? Follow? That's easy. Well, they didn't do that. They didn't do that. They passed over. They passed that over. When they talked about the Sabbath day, they didn't figure that out either. Okay. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 and 9. Jesus talked to these people now. He said, 
The people draw near unto me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. There's a problem. Okay, you can know the passage. You can quote Psalms 23. You can quote all sorts of passages. Quote Psalms chapter 1. You can quote Genesis chapter 1. You can go through all the passages and, and quote them verbatim, whatever translation you use, but it has to mean more than just the words. You have to be able to get them. He said, in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Why? Why did they reach that conclusion? Because they were using false reasoning to get there. So you, you really have to, have to pay attention to what the Bible says and to why it is saying it. Matthew 23, verse 1 through 3, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was looking at the, at the uh, temple at that time and he was looking at the leaders in Israel and, and he's talking to his disciples and he's saying, look at the leaders now. You can, you can look at your spiritual leaders, those who are teaching you. He said, this, this spoke Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore, whatsoever they bid you, observe. Whatever they tell you to do from the Scriptures. Okay. He's, not, he's, not a, he, he's using an ellipsis here. And we need to use it too. The ellipsis is you, have, you can skip over one part of the argument because it's understood. So he's saying, all they command you to do, the ellipsis is, that is from the scriptures, do. Okay? You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to reach those conclusions. He said, but, but don't do what they do. Okay. In John chapter 4, verse 22, Jesus confronted a woman at, at the well of Samaria, you remember? And she said, you know, you're, our fathers say we ought to Worship God in this mountain. You say we ought to do it at Jerusalem. You know what Jesus did? He said, you don't know what you worship. We know what we worship, salvation of the Jews. You have to reach some conclusions as you read the scriptures. You have to reach those conclusions that are valid. So you have to use your mind. You have to use your reason in order to get there. Now, let me take you to another passage. In Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 34. It says, One of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceived that he had answered them well. He's talking about Jesus. He asked Jesus, Which is the first commandment of all? Now, in the Old Testament, it doesn't say commandment number one, commandment number two, commandment number three, number four, number five. Anyway, we, we can number them. But he's asking Jesus, What's the first one? What's the big one? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. That's reasonable, right? So they should have come to that conclusion. Now, and the second is namely this, Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now that's what Jesus said. He, he combined all the other commandments, other than the nine commandments, into one, the second, called it the second commandment. Now that's logical. He did that logically. He, he reasoned that out. And when he did that, then this man who was asking him the question, the scribe, he said, well, you've said, Master. He said, you've, you've said the truth, for there is one God. 
So here this guy was thinking along with Jesus. Okay? He was thinking along with him. And he said, and he said there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, all the soul, all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than the whole burnt offering and sacrifice. This guy was thinking. He probably had not come to that conclusion by himself before, but all of a sudden, Jesus put it to him. And he said, Eureka! Ha, that's right. That's, that's it. That's it. The first commandment is love God. The second commandment is love your neighbor. That's the whole thing. And you know what Jesus said to him? He, when he saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, You're not far from the kingdom of God. You're getting close. You're getting close because now you're thinking. You're thinking. You're not just reading it. You're not just saying it. You're not just talking it. It's not just coming out of your mouth. It's lodging itself in your heart and in your head. You're getting it. Now, that was the purpose of the Old Testament, was to lead us to the point that we could get it. The law was designed, basically, to do something for man. Instead of just regulating his activities, it was designed to do something for him and to make him something. Now, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8 through 12, tells us this. Finding fault with them, he said, and the point was, the law could have done that, but it didn't do that. Didn't do it, didn't work. Why? Because man didn't think it through, didn't feel it through. He just didn't, wouldn't, didn't, it didn't sink in, wouldn't sink. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8 through 12 says, For finding fault with them, after giving the law, man didn't do it. He said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. I'll make a different one. You didn't get this one, I'll make a different one. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. Bingo. Here and here. Okay. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. You know what he means by that. As the kids are growing up, they're, they're being taught, Do you know who you are? Be sure you know what the commandments say. You're an Israelite. See? They didn't have to know God with their head or their heart. They just had to know that they were Israelites. Okay? You've heard this before, haven't you? Some parents send their kids out in the world and said, remember who you are. Well, who are you? Well, this, this is the idea. If you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you know who you are. You can't follow God now without knowing Him. So nobody has to come along and say to you, you need to know God. Well, if I'm a Christian, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, if I'm a believer, I know him. You don't have to tell me that. I can't become a Christian unless I know him. Okay. You will know me from the least to the greatest. I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins or iniquities. Will I remember no more? Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, Timothy's young preacher, he said, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
The word dividing meant applying. Make the right application. People get into all sorts of religious arguments today over the scriptures because they don't make the right application. They don't actually study the scriptures. They just see the verses and they don't put them all together. You have to. You can't just read a verse or two and believe that without knowing the context, without knowing the, what, what the circumstances was that, that the text was written in. You, you can't do that. You've got to get it all together and put it together and use your brain and your heart. That's the way it works. Now, Jesus said, when, when uh, these men criticized him, what Jesus said was, you didn't know this. What you didn't know was that I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Wow. What do you mean, Lord? I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Well, the sacrifice part of it, let me just explain this, what I believe is going on here. What he's talking about are the rules, the regulations, the rituals, the formulas. The priest had to wear a certain kind of garment. They had, to, they had to perform their duties in a certain way. The people that came to worship God had to come on a certain day in a certain disposition. They had to bring their animals to sacrifice. They had to bring them and take care of them. That They had to make sure that they were right ones. They had to do everything according to the stipulation that was given by the priest and by, by God in the book of Leviticus in particular, in Numbers. Anyway, they had to... They had to be schooled in this and do it according to the rituals and regulations. But Jesus is saying, I, that's not, that wasn't my concern. <laughs> my concern wasn't getting the rules and regulations right and the restrictions. That wasn't what I was concerned about. What I was concerned about is mercy. Mercy overrides this. It overrules it. Look at David. Sure, the showbread was just for the priest on the Sabbath. But mercy overrode that and said, okay, but here's some people starving, so they have the showbread. All right. Let's talk about the Sabbath just quickly. The Sabbath is kind of a, a mystery to a lot of people. And that's what we're talking about right now. Let's just see if I can get us a sacrifice. We're talking about the sacrifice. Sacrifice would include things like the Sabbath. Now, on the Sabbath day, Exodus chapter 16, verse 29 through 30, we know what happened on the Sabbath, basically, that God created heaven and the earth in six days, and on the Sabbath day, he rested. Okay. Then later on, he gave the Sabbath day to this group of people, Israelites. And so in Exodus chapter 16, he describes it, verse 19 through 30. He says, See that the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you the sixth day the bread of two days. Now, he had been given the manna. It was on the ground. All they had to do was pick it up and eat it, prepare it and eat it. But on the Sabbath day, there wasn't going to be any. No manna on Sabbath day. So on Friday, they were to pick up twice as much. So God provided twice as much on Friday so they didn't have to work on Saturday. Simple. Simple, Right? That's Sabbath. That's what it was. He said, I'm going to give you a day off to think about what I've given you. Basically, that's what he did. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day, so the people rested on the seventh day. 
Then in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you'll labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You shall not your sons, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, your cattle, your strangers in your gates. What's he saying? He's saying, relax. I'm going to take care of you. You don't have to work. Well, what if I don't plant on Friday? I'm going to get behind a full day. So every week I'm going to fall behind a day. So at the end of the month, I'm four days behind. Into two months, I'm, I'm eight days behind. What about harvest? What about, what about, what about? Well, God said, I'll take care of you. It's okay. It will be all right. Think about me. Take it easy. Rest. Now, he's not saying don't get up and have a bite of bread. He's not saying don't put on your shoes or polish your shoes. He's not saying things like... What he's saying is do not go out and work to make a living. That's, that's common understanding. That's what he's saying. The Jews missed that point. They made a ritual out of this thing. You can't do anything. You can't even walk to the store. You can't walk around. You can't go... Well, they even set up a time, a, a distance. You can go a Sabbath day's journey. What they call a Sabbath day's journey. So everybody recognizes that's like a, a mile for us, you know, something like that. It, I don't know how, long, how far it was. But they regulated this thing to death. Except the fact that when they had an emergency, they took care of it. They knew what mercy was, but they didn't want to extend it to anybody else. Isn't that right? So they asked Jesus on several times. You remember, a, Jesus, a man came to Jesus and he had a withered arm and Jesus healed him. And all of a sudden, these people came unglued. You're not supposed to work. You're not supposed to heal on a Sabbath day. Where does the Bible say that? Where did you get that in your head? How did you figure that out? You can't do good on the Sabbath? You know, Jesus said it here in Matthew, the text we had he said it, and he said it also in the book of Mark, and I want to read both places. In Matthew 12, verse 8, the text that we started with, it says, The Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath day. You know what he said? I can do what I want to on the Sabbath day. It's mine. I'm the one that gave it to you. I can do anything I want on the Sabbath day. Can you have mercy, Lord? Sure. And he did. Now here's what he says in... Here's how Mark records it in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, 28. He said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So they had regulated this Sabbath to the nth degree. You can do this, you can't do that, you can't. Women couldn't cook, nothing, nothing. You just can't do anything that they didn't want you to do. But, of course, if their ass or ox was in a ditch, they could get them out. Because they didn't want to lose money. You see, they, they weren't thinking straight. They weren't thinking it through. The idea was for them to have the time off so that they could think about God and, and recognize this is a great day for us. But don't mark it. Don't work for a living. Don't try to make something for yourself because I've made it for you already. It's yours. All right. Animal sacrifices, the same thing, same issue. Basically, the ritualistic part of it was that we have to make sure we have the right sacrifice for the right time. 
You know, God said in the sacrifices that they were they would take the, the young, the yearlings. You know what a yearling is. It's a little guy. It's a baby. They were to carry that thing to where they were sacrificing. Bonnie grew up on a farm. I grew up farming around, and I knew what it was like when people raised little bitty animals for, for food. Every farmer and every family, every farm family I ever met always told their children, don't name the, don't name the cows, don't name the pigs, because you're going to have to kill them and eat them. Don't get attached to them. But God said, you get attached to that animal and you bring it to me to sacrifice. You, carry, you can't walk a little guy. You've got to carry him. They didn't get it. Well, all they got was, well, we, we've had, we have to go through the regulation to do this, do this, do this, do this. It never soaked in their heart. They, could, they didn't get it. Where was the mercy? Where was the, where was the compassion that the sacrifice was supposed to encourage? Amos chapter 5, verse 21 through 24. Here's, here, this is one of the most impressive texts that I, I know about in the Old Testament that talks about sacrifices. This text says, God is speaking, I hate, I despise your feast days. He said, I, it, just, it, it just upset him. And I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Why, Lord? Aren't they right? Didn't, didn't we bring the right ones? Didn't we, didn't we bring the little ones? Didn't we bring the yearlings? Didn't we bring the, the goat or the, the lamb of one year old without a blemish? Didn't we do that? He's saying, I, I don't like it. I don't like what you're doing. He said, neither will I regard the peace offering of your fat beasts. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not hear the melody of your viols or your harps. But, but he said, let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as mighty streams. You've, you've missed the point, folks. You've missed the point in the sacrifices. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. That's what Hosea said anyway. Well, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 through 7, talks about the purpose of those sacrifices, what they were supposed to do. So we have to look beyond it. So you say, okay, let's have, let's have some kind of argumentation here. What, 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 what's the reasoning we have behind this? Why would God have you offer an animal sacrifice for your sins? To jerk you up and make, make you understand that there's something compassionate going on about what you're about to do. It's going to bother you. It's going to upset you. It's going to make you see that sin is sin and that this is hurting somebody. It's hurting that animal for sure. And it's hurting your kids when they see you sacrifice that animal. It's hurting everybody. They weren't getting that. They were saying, okay, let's do this one, this, this one, this one, this one. Going through the rituals. He's saying, I don't, I don't even want, I hate this. God's saying, I don't like this. Because you, you're not even thinking about righteousness. You're not even thinking about judgment. Hebrews 10 at verse 1, obviously, everything in the Old Testament was pointing toward Jesus, right? Pointing toward the time when Jesus would die on the cross. And that should have an impact. That should hit you right in the heart. It should thump you, jar you, make you think, well, 
What I did is, is terrible. Okay, the law having a shadow of good things to come, not the very image of things, can never, with those sacrifices which are offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. It didn't help them. It didn't work. It wasn't working. Why? Why wasn't it working? They weren't thinking it through and they weren't feeling it. It was going beyond them. For then would they have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there's a remembrance again made of sins every year. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering, you would not. But a body you have prepared me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Okay, there were the sacrifices. That was the system. And Jesus said, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. We've got to think that one over. Lo, I come in the volume of the book, do thy will, O God, is written of me. The ultimate purpose of God, initially and all through ages, was to provide mercy. We know what mercy is. Thank you, do. Sometimes it's hard for us to, to express it because we have to almost be in the emotional clutches of mercy and a situation where we need it. You know, the storm is raging all around us and, and it's about to blow us away and, and we need, we're calling on God for mercy. Help us. Save us. Or maybe we've done something wrong. We've, we've uh, gotten ourselves into a real fix. Let's say we've spent money that didn't belong to us and we don't have any way to repay it. And what we need more than anything else is understanding compassion, mercy, maybe a little more time put me on payments for it or something. But when you stand before a judge, for instance, and the judge is, and you've, you've committed a felon, and uh, maybe it's, maybe it's just, just a traffic violation or whatever it may be, and, and you know that you don't have much money, and, and you know that, uh, that the fines can go way on up, and the judge is sitting there and listening to you, and you, what you're wanting is mercy. Please, have mercy. Well, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about mercy in the, New, in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Wherefore then serves the law? Here the law set forth all the regulations and the rules and said, If you don't do this, you're going to die. And that's what the Bible says. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says, What, what, what good, is it? What, what good was, the, was the law? What, what about the sacrifice? What about those laws? What, what good did it do? It said, It was added because of transgression till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. It was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid. For there had there been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. So what we need, if we're under the law, is mercy. If we can't keep it, if we don't keep it, we're going to have to have some, some kind of relief somewhere. We need mercy. Romans 9, verse 1 through 5, talking about the Israelites now. They were the ones who had the law. Paul said, I say the truth in Christ, I don't lie. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen. 
according to the flesh. These are Israelites. To whom pertains the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, and the service of God and the promises. Whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever. What he's saying is, I, I wish all of my countrymen could have come to this conclusion that Jesus can save you. He has mercy. The law is not going to do it. They were concerned that, that that was what was going to do it. The law was going to save them. And Paul is saying, I wish you'd wake up. I wish you'd come alive. I wish, for my brethren's sake, they, they would know this. All that God has done throughout the ages has been to bring about salvation and get you and me safely across a great barrier from an old world that's condemned to a new world that's bright and shiny and full of hope. There's a bridge, and that bridge is Jesus Christ. There's an ark, and that ark is Jesus Christ. There's a way we get over there. But the point is, God has always wanted us over on the safe side. That's where he wants us. He wants to save us. Romans 8, verse 28 through 30 says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many creatures. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. Okay. Second Timothy, the point is, he worked it all out for us because, not because of the law, not because of restrictions, regulations, formulas. He worked it all out on the basis of mercy. I will have mercy. I want you to be saved. I want you to be comfortable. I want you to feel good. I want you to feel empowered. I want you to feel welcome. I want you to feel my love. I want you to feel my embrace. I want you to feel included. I want this for you. I want, I want you for myself, God said. And that's what he prepared all, this, all throughout the world. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, He saved us and called us the holy calling, not according to our works. Not according to our works. That's not sacrifice now. But according to his mercy. But according to his own purpose and grace, which has given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. 1 Timothy 1, 5, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. What was the commandment for? Well, the Jews, and those that Jesus confronted, many people even today believe that you have to do it step by step or you won't get there. You have to get all the regulations just right. Don't miss a step. Don't stutter. Don't stumble. Don't fall. Just keep on. And if you do it all right and you can stand before the judgment throne of God, you might make it. You know what? When I stand before the judgment of God, the one thing that's going to be in my mind, and one thing that's in my mind right now is, God is gracious. He is compassionate. And he has mercy. He has mercy. And that's what Jesus said. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Okay. The end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and faith unfeigned. This is a faithful saying. Worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Okay. When we sin, and we will sin, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. So 
trying to make up, trying to redo, trying to work our way back into God's favor, don't worry about it. Matter of fact, God said, Jesus said, I'll have mercy and not sacrifice. Somebody asked me a long time ago, when I, and I, I've thought about and thought about all the things that a person has to do to please God and the, the, all the regulations and the statements made in the New Testament is how you get into the faith of Jesus Christ and what he wants you to do, what he doesn't want you to do. That's very easy to find out in the New Testament. But then when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we, we know that we have someone who really cares about us, who really is concerned about us. And the question was asked me one time about a person who had died. And the person asking me the question was, what do you think about them? And it was that individual's son that died. Died outside of Jesus Christ. Was not a Christian. Lifestyle was horrible. And the person asked me, well, what, what's going to happen to my son? I said, you know, I truly don't know. But I do know this, that the one who's going to judge him is the one that I want judging me. That's Jesus Christ. So whatever happens to your son, he's in the best hands possible. Because Jesus said, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. He will do it right. It will be fair. It will be what it should be because our God is a God of mercy and goodness, grace and compassion. You know, we've got a song selected. Why don't we stand together and sing that song when I, as I conclude this?